Welcome to Solidarity's Socialism from Below podcast. I'm your host, Luke Pretz, and in each episode, we take the time to talk with socialists in the U.S. and abroad about the struggles they're involved with, the lessons they've learned, and how those struggles connect to the international movement for socialism. Today, I'm being joined by Jetzel, Magda, and Mac, uh, all of which are leaders and organizers in the Kansas City Tenants, Tenants Union, uh, and they've been involved in transforming the housing justice movement in Kansas City for several years. Uh, today, we'll be talking about Casey Tenants, what they've been up to, their approach to organizing, and why socialists should be organizing around housing issues. Welcome to Socialism from Below. I've been really excited since we booked this interview, and I think a great way to kick this off is just for you guys to describe for us uh, what Casey Tenants is. I can go first. Uh, my name is Mac. I'm an organizer with Casey Tenants, and I use he, him, or they, them pronouns. Um, Casey Tenants is an organization led by a multi-generational, multiracial, anti-racist base of poor and working-class tenants in Kansas City. Uh, we organize to ensure that everyone in Kansas City has a safe, accessible, and truly affordable home. Uh, we believe people closest to the problem are those closest to the solution, and our organizing efforts reflect that mission. Who better to fight for policy changes that protect tenants against eviction, displacements, and housing violence than tenants who have been evicted, displaced, and oppressed by housing violence? It's only through those who've experienced oppression through housing violence who can lead us to the change to change the conditions of what's possible. We do this by teaching ourselves our rights, telling our stories, and laying out a collective path towards our and liberation. I'll actually jump in here too. Um, hi, my name is Magda. I use uh, she and they pronouns. Um, and I'm the hotline coordinator for KC Tenants. Um, and I think that one of my favorite things about KC Tenants, certainly one of its biggest strengths, is that we have the power um, to really build tenant power on multiple fronts. So three of our biggest areas of work right now are our hotline, um, our tenant union network, and our North Star campaign for a People's Housing Trust Fund. So real briefly, our hotline was created early in the uh, COVID-19 pandemic to connect tenants to existing resources like legal aid and rental assistance. But as time went on, we also started to use it as a really incredible base building tool, um, which is really the most powerful resource we have. So the people who contact our hotline are deeply impacted by housing violence. So asking these folks if they want to build power with KC tenants um, really puts into practice that belief that Mac mentioned about um, people closest to the problem being closest to the solution. Um, our tenant union network currently supports three tenant unions in the city. So that's Gabriel Towers Tenant Union, McGee Schiffman Tenant Union, and the KC Homeless Union, with plans to support the creation of many more unions. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of listeners of this podcast already know about the power that unions can wield. And lastly, our People's Housing Trust Fund is a vision uh, slash policy proposal that would make housing in KC truly and permanently affordable by divesting from our oppressors, so namely gentrifiers and the police, and investing in our communities by funding social housing, rehabilitations to make homes more sustainable and accessible, protecting tenants' rights, and more. Um, and yeah, and all these works of area, you know, all these areas of work actually really inform each other. Um, we could name even more like constant base building and work around developers. Um, and yeah, having all these areas of work just really makes our organization um, so much stronger. Thanks. You guys have like added a lot of like really interesting detail that I wasn't quite aware of. One thing I'd like to ask is uh, you said, Magda, that all of these kind of three different areas, policy, uh, building power, uh, and the hotline, all are closely related. How do these things relate internally uh, within, or how do you guys see these things relating together? Because I know a lot of organizations uh, end up kind of tracking themselves into either just policy work 
or just extra parliamentary or extra city council organizing and, and, and creating rallies and protests, and others uh, kind of find themselves doing primarily mutual aid. So how do these things work together? It seems at first maybe like they're kind of different and and, and maybe not polar opposites, but kind of uh, contradictory elements. What do you guys think? I think I'll just I'll just jump in real quick to say I think that uh, for me it all kind of comes back to that core organizing philosophy that everything we're doing should be grounded by the people who are experiencing like the deepest impacts of housing injustice. Um, and that's so much of where our hotline comes in because we're getting people's personal stories and what they're dealing with at you know the smallest levels, but it's their lives. It's huge. Um, and yeah, and those tenants are then you know they're able to join the organization and those tenants are, yeah, sometimes interested in joining our North Star campaign team and and have a hand in actually creating um, what our policy that we're pushing for looks like. And actually, I I wonder if Jetzel wants to talk about the connection between um, tenant unions and other areas, because that's kind of her area right now. Yeah, I was just going to say for, to give kind of like an example, um, so in tenant power, we do a lot of, we plan a lot, like a mega canvas every month. We do some sort of canvassing. And the way we pick our locations is we, through the hotline, it's where we're getting the most tenants. Like maybe tenants are calling from a specific complex and that's where we want to go and talk to more tenants, see, you know, feel that place out, see if there's potential to do a tenant union, because that's really one of our main goals is to have a tenant union network all over Kansas City and even the state, because people power is so important. And if we have, you know, tenant units all over Missouri, we can actually have it. We have chance to like make real change through, you know, like the government and stuff like that. But everything connects in all ways, you know, tenant power, which is a team that I lead with a fellow comrade. His name is Charles. But a lot of people on that team are deeply impacted tenants. We follow their leadership. And that that specific team tenant power is specifically for planning like direct actions or door to door canvassing, um, things like that, like real direct, you know, engaging with impacted tenants. That's kind of like one of our purposes that we have. But yeah, for real, like everything just interconnects. So like we need each other. We need all these teams. And of course, within those teams, we have a bunch of like sub teams and stuff. But it's where it really makes it's like the work that we put in throughout our week because every sat every Saturday we have a weekly base meeting, but the work that's done is outside of that meeting, and it's through all these teams, all the field work we're doing, um, and that's really I think what makes us such a just a good I don't know how to say it like organization or just we're really trying to just like how Magda and Mac have said like following the leadership of people closest to the problems. That's the only way we're going to find solutions. I think this is really interesting, kind of like teasing out this thread a little bit more about the relationship between policy and the hotline uh, and like the direct action stuff you guys are talking about. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna be really honest here. And I was living in Kansas City when Casey Tennis just started, and I didn't participate in, but I watched very closely the campaign to get uh, – the Tenants' Bill of Rights uh, in that special office uh, set up in in City Hall, and my first reaction, honestly, was that 
uh, oh, this is just like any other sort of organizing project in Kansas City. Uh, they're going to do policy stuff. Um, they're going to get city council to pass it, and then city council will do nothing with it. And I think you guys did a really good job of illustrating that you guys weren't just going to do legislative stuff. You weren't just going to stop it, you know, letting the mayor say, yep, I approve of this message, and then stop there. Uh, you know, what were some of the steps you guys took to overcome uh, these sort of uh, attempts by city council to to kind of co-opt your movement or to draw you out of kind of your, your principles as an organization? Mac here. Uh, as someone who was part of that push for the Tenants' Bill of Rights, uh, which was passed uh, in the winter of 2019, I think everybody in the organization at the time knew that that was just the first step, right? Like there are so many people within the city, their city official leadership or outside of service profits or working for other policy groups are really big on like this joyous pride of, oh, look, I just passed this shiny new policy or I just created this new office. Uh, but something that I think I've noticed and what many people in the group have noticed as well, because once again, our organization is made of like the most impacted people who live through the consequences of like what happens when city officials pass policies and see no follow through on that. There is no sense of accountability on that. There is no sense of like actually going step by step to see and making sure that the policies passed actually work. And so we knew, even going into setting up for the Casey Tenants Bill of Rights, that we would have to come up as a group of people, as a group of tenants, to fight and ensure that this isn't just some policy that's written off, you know, a few million dollars thrown at it, and that's it. We knew we would have to organize to make sure that the right people are also working in the Office of Tenant Advocate to make sure that they're advocating for tenants' rights. We had to make sure that there's enough funding in the budgets to make sure that the things that needed to get done had to get done. Uh, and three, also make sure that the city takes it seriously. There are far, and I'm sure people from all these different cities can resonate with this, but they, within Kansas City and our city programs, just because something passed doesn't mean like that'll be the focus, right? It could just get passed and then kind of fall to the wayside which we've seen so many other Kansas City uh, programs and, initi and initiatives like that happen. So really, one of the biggest ways that we were able to distill from that group of people infringing on our culture was like we stayed true to who we were by actually working with tenants who have been evicted, by working with tenants who are going month to month and trying to pay off rent, rather than listening to the hubla or the good words of people who aren't as impacted like city official yeah. leaders. Yeah. And yeah, I'm reminded of the Angela Davis quote that like freedom is a constant struggle. Um, and every victory just opens up a new terrain of struggle. Um, because yeah, we definitely saw that during the budget process for um, that special office that was created through, you know, Casey Tenants organizing um, the Office of the Tenant Advocate. They originally, uh, I believe they had around $300,000 in its budget for its first year, which was far less than what Casey Tenants was demanding. Um, and then it's in its second year, they tried to cut the budget down to only 100000 um, which is pretty ridiculous and felt kind of like a slap in the face. Um, so there was some really incredible um, organizing within Casey Tenants. I think, you know, spearheaded by, you know, our comrade Janae Manley, who we should name and celebrate, um, to organize folks to show up to the, uh, the participatory budget hearings um, and give testimony about what, you know, what tenants' rights mean to them, um, how it impacts their lives, and why uh, we need full funding for the office. And by the end of that budget season, we had won nearly $1 million. Um, and we know that that $1 million isn't the end, um, but we're, it was, it was still an incredible victory. And it was, it was a, a super, it was, it was exciting to get that 
um, victory under our belt. So, yeah. Jetzel, I, I kind of want to ask you a question here about kind of these direct actions and building this power. And that's how, how has COVID kind of influenced the way that you guys, you all organize? Because, I mean, I was blown away by the level of activity that happened in the wake around evictions in Kansas City. And maybe how did you guys adjust to the fact that we live in a pandemic universe now? Yeah, well, I always saw it as kind of a blessing and a curse. And it's because in one way we transitioned every t- every like our meetings into Zoom and that and some people couldn't isn't accessible. And so that was the bad part. But it also brought in a lot of more people into our base and more tenants that wanted to be involved and made it easier because they didn't have to drive anywhere. So it's kind of like, you know, 50 50. But also when I actually started getting really involved was during zero eviction January, which was pretty much like still masks, you know, height of pandemic. And yeah, it was tough, but this things, you know, evictions were still happening and we needed to do something about it. And of course we took, you know, our safety precautions, you know, social distancing and things like that and made sure that, you know, nobody who didn't want to be in a crowd or, or like anyone who wasn't uncomfortable or comfortable with being there was there. So we made sure to like have those precautions and stuff, but it brought a lot of power because evictions, like people were getting evicted during the pandemic and they had lost their jobs, you know, couldn't pay their rent. They had to choose between their rent and, you know, getting meals for their kids. So that's unfair. And it really brought a lot of anger but that anger is turned into action. That's what we always believe. Like we take all of this anger that we have and really do something about it. And I think that zero eviction, zero eviction January is like a perfect example of that. And we would do, you know, like blockades at courthouses. We had people standing outside and like the free, it was like freezing cold. I know like Magda and Mac were there, but we would be outside and we we would have tenants who were literally getting evicted give testimony and that was so powerful and then we had another um kind of avenue which is where there were the judges were doing online evictions so like virtual evictions basically and we had a a really dedicated team of comrades on our base that you know every time they would have an online eviction they would go and disrupt it and that's how we actually shut down the majority of the evictions were through those like online evictions that the judges were doing that's how we shut it down that's like where the most evictions that we shut down came from was through the online stuff and so it kind of I think it's like I said before just brought so much it just made you it really hits you and makes you realize like I cannot even believe that people are getting evicted during this time and brought a lot of more people, and it was really awesome because actually a lot of our leaders stepped up to be, like, action leads and put themselves out there because that stuff is scary, but I was so happy to see, like, a lot of our leaders stepping up to take on those roles and really, you know, fight for what we believe in. Even during, like, this scary time, we were still able to make it happen, so I just think it's both, like, good and bad things, but I think mostly good. You said something that was interesting to me. You talked about, one, I want to go back to this direct action stuff that you were talking about. 
but I want to put a pin on that to kind of maybe pose a question about accessibility. And, and you made an interesting point about how in some ways the zoo meetings made it much more accessible, especially for people who, you know, didn't have to drive across town to attend a meeting uh, after work or on the weekend or whatever. Uh, but on the other hand, because it was online and because we live in a country where not everyone has uh, access to the internet in their homes, even though it's something that is necessary in contemporary society, that they weren't able to attend. So could you guys talk about how you tried to include those people who weren't able to make those online meetings? Yeah, Mac, and I can speak to that. That is still a pressure that we're feeling today, right? When we start to think of who are the most impacted tenants, many of them are older. Uh, many of them do not have the time to even sit down and attend a Zoom meeting. And many of them actually do not have access to technology and resources to attend a Zoom meeting. So it actually becomes really complicated, right, of trying to use things such as text messaging, creating a newsletter service, and other things to try to keep people in the loop. Uh, but that's actually still a huge barrier, and that's why we at KC Tenants are starting to consider at this time of creating in-person meetings. But that's also kind of like in flux right now, too, because in Missouri, I don't know how it is where you're at, Luke, like the Delta variant is like on the rise. So it's like we're constantly going through like this roller coaster wave of trying to find the most successful form for a certain demographic possible. But there's so much chaos happening right now. It's really hard to find that. Um, but when it comes to getting people to actually come out to our actions, uh, it's really like the call and the text messages and the relationships that we have. Because at KC Tenants, we build at the speed of trust. So that really means a lot of our organizing and a lot of the relationships that we have are built on relationships. So hopefully, many of our organizers or peers are interpersonally connected with tenants who cannot attend these meetings and are able to chat, catch up with them, and share what's going on with KC Tenants to make sure that those people are still in the loop. And that trust yeah. question... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say on that topic of accessibility, um, kind of like something we've been working on and... Um, are currently like still kind of working on is language we have so many tenants that don't speak English that are facing like these real issues and in housing insecurity and housing violence that can't come to the meetings because they don't understand what we're saying they speak another language and I think a step that we've taken is like when we go canvassing we've had we have like our our literature translated into at least like Spanish because I know because I, I know like in Kansas City we have a really big Hispanic demographic so it's really important for us to have at least Spanish and even then we really want to have um, other languages incorporated because we have a big um, immigrant community you know Swahili people who speak French or Arabic so that's another point of accessibility that I think um, we're still working on but plan to really build out you know a full-out accessibility plan with not just you know, people being able to have internet. It's also language. It also, some people just are, don't feel comfortable being in Zoom meetings. Like it's awkward sometimes and it's weird. And so things like that, we really want to think about all those things. And, and that's why I'm, I just love like the different perspectives we have in Casey Tenants. Like some people bring up a lot of things that I hadn't even thought about, you know? And so it's really awesome like to see that for sure, but something that we still need to work on. So Mac mentioned something about kind of building at the speed of trust. And, you know, direct actions take a lot of trust. And sometimes organizers initiate a direct action 
and it may even be kind of a mild one. Maybe it's blocking the street or something like that without having built up that trust at first or having, you know, kind of sprung it on people without them knowing that that was the plan. And so how do you guys go about building trust for direct actions? I feel like uh, Jetzel's, uh, like the answer that you had for the long haul could work with that, like sustainability. And I'm sure Magda's got a lot on that too. Yeah, well, um, just to start out, I think we do a really good job of investing in leadership development. And one of the most, the first thing that we do when, um, you know, we invite a member into our base is have a one-on-one. And that's basically a really intentional conversation between two people, usually an organizer um, and a new member, where you get to know the member on like a really deep level and you get to identify their self-interest and stake in organizing tenants and then and like learning about their personal experiences with housing things like that and so once you've done that you can proposition members into leadership roles so that's what I was talking about with action leads and our direct actions but it really does you need to have that initial trust built because if you don't have that if you don't know the person's you know that person's self-interest you can't do anything like they're not going to trust you you're not you're not going to know them. You're not going to trust them. And so we really take the time to build relationships with people. That's really important to us here at KC Tenants. So I think sometimes, you know, some or some other organizations try to like rush things and it ends up just blowing up. But here it's really taking the time to build relationships with people in our base and continue this base building, which, um, like Magda, you know a lot about like base building and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I have a lot of thoughts too about kind of this direct action bit personally, just because I have risked arrest with KC tenants before. Um, and I've also been a part of direct actions at my college campus, which were actually pretty harmful. And they, yeah, so I think, yeah, let me see. So I, yeah, I think the, the relational aspect of it is completely crucial. KC tenants, honestly, is really the most caring sort of public community I've ever been a part of. It's there really is a culture within the organization that people care about each other. People show up for each other. People know that our, you know, liberation is not something that's individual, but is something that's collective. And we we do, yeah, we really, you know, take pains to make sure that our relationships with each other are are healthy and are, are you know, beneficial. Yeah, I think it's also it's a it's a culture that celebrates leaning into tensions. Um so this is something we say at the beginning of every meeting. It's one of our community agreement. We say that leaning into tension is good. Um, tension is how we grow. Tensions are basically feelings that don't sit, right, you know, don't sit right. Are you know questions or concerns you might have. Um, so we want folks to speak up on those. Um, and that of course comes up a lot when we're doing direct actions where people could possibly be arrested. And I think one of the yeah one of the conversations I remember most that kind of demonstrates this is. Uh, it might have been, I think it was in October, maybe, um, when we had um, a group of people chain themselves to the door of the courthouse. And one of our comrades, I'll name Howard, um, who's amazing, you know, brought up the idea that like, we really should not be glamorizing being arrested at all. We should not be glamorizing paying, you know, into the carceral system or interacting with that. Like that is not our end goal. It could be a tactic, but it's something we do want to avoid. Um, and I thought that that was a super, it was super grounding. It was super, um, I hadn't really heard someone like actually name that before. So it felt, yeah, it felt uh, really, it just felt good. And it felt like how to take direct action in a way that's uh, useful uh, for everyone. 
I'd like to follow up on that. Um, I think this is a really important point that Howard made and that you're expressing here, which is I feel like a lot of people kind of fetishize the tactics as what makes the thing happen, right? And, and, and it's really not. It's, it's something kind of beyond that. It's, it's this, the fact that it's collective. It's the fact that you have a mass of people mobilized uh, in opposition to the police or the judge who's evicting you. Or, or city council or whatever. And I, I think this is important because, you know, I, I, so many times I know in Kansas City, everyone was like, yeah, we're going to go get arrested for so many different campaigns and so many different organizations. And you ask them why, and they don't really have a good answer other than, you know, maybe the best answer was it gets us attention or something like that. It gets us on the newspaper. It makes people aware. But beyond that, you know, it just seemed like they were just paying lots of money to bail bondsmen and to the police system and the, and the carceral system, like you were saying. I think maybe this is a, a good point. Actually, I want to ask you one more thing. Uh, Magda, this is actually maybe something in your wheelhouse since you manage the hotline stuff. But how do you guys or how do you all facilitate and, and, and get people drawn in to, to call the hotline? I feel like it's one thing to have a phone number. It's another thing to get people to call it. And then on the other hand, uh, when people call, how do you approach those calls? I know, you know, this could be, this is something I'm interested in, which is workers' inquiry. This idea that socialists should be, you know, really committed to finding out what's going on in the world, specifically from the perspective of working class people. So maybe could you walk me a little bit, walk me through a little bit of what, how you get people to call the hotline and also how you approach those calls when they do happen. Yeah. So um, those calls happen in a number of different ways. So we do ask folks if they're comfortable sharing uh, how they hear about the hotline. Actually, the, the, you know, kind of splash page on our website includes the hotline number um, in our online uh, submission form. We also have a lot of folks who just hear about the hotline through word of mouth, um, their friend or a family member, a neighbor, someone else has heard of us. At this point, yeah, KC Tenants is a, a pretty, it's a visible, you know, organization within Kansas City. So a lot of people are aware, even if they don't know exactly what it is or what we do, they've heard the name. They know that this is something for tenants out there. Uh, yeah, they've heard about us on media coverage. Some of the most interesting ones are actually our referrals from uh, city officials or sometimes even the police because sometimes tenants who are in need of assistance will contact um, those, you know, you know, city people or uh, police and, and they won't know what to do because that's not a priority of the city. And so they'll send them to us, which is super interesting and very, yeah, it's very strange. But then once, uh, once a tenant contacts the hotline, the basic uh, flow of conversation is uh, we ask them about their story. Uh, we hear their issues. And this is actually something that's super important, I think, for a lot of tenants um, because there's a lot of there's not often many spaces where you're like asked to dig into what you're experiencing. Um, this is the first time a lot of people have told their stories um, because a lot, there's a lot of stigma around it too. There's, you know, these outside forces, you know, capitalism, racial capitalism makes you feel like a failure, makes it feel like it's your fault for like getting behind on rent, being evicted, any other housing issue. Um, but it's so it's it's really powerful when, you know, they're telling us our story and we're saying, hey, this isn't your fault. This shouldn't be happening to you. That's messed up that your landlord is doing that. And then, yeah, once we kind of have uh, the broad scope of what a tenant is dealing with, we try to refer folks to different resources that we trust within the city. So Usually it's legal aid. There's also quite a bit of rental assistance programs out there. But it's that's that's kind of a difficult part too because we know that 
it's kind of like a, if there were enough resources to handle everyone's problems, basically tenants wouldn't really need to exist. <laughs> um, but we know that rental assistance is not the end-all be-all. It's a, it's a terrible system <laughs> that puts the onus on, you know, renters to stay in their own homes. Um, it's pretty messed up. But we do try to, you know, let folks know what's out there because that can be a full-time job in and of itself, like keeping track of every single resource that's available. And then, yeah, and then lastly, we uh, do kind of a... a you know, first touch relational piece. So we ask folks, like, we really try to dig in and say, like, how does it make you feel that this, you know, your landlord is doing this to you, that your, uh, you know, property management is neglecting your home in this way that's making it unhealthy. And often folks are angry and they should be angry. And we, we tell them that. We say, like, you have a right to be angry. And uh, and then we move into, like, hey, what do you know about Casey Tenants? Um, and then we tell them a bit about us. You know, we're a group led by tenants. We believe that people closest to the problem are closest to the solution. So we would actually love it if you wanted to, like, come into the organization, if you wanted to check out a meeting or if you wanted to talk with one of our organizers about more about your experiences or your ideas for being a tenant in Kansas City. So that's basically the broad, yeah, that's the, kind of the rundown of what the, the hotline does. Thanks for that, Magda. I, I feel like I have like a really good sense of that, but Matt, go ahead. Yeah, and I was just going to say too, when the hotline was first established back in March of 2020, uh, one of the big reasons that we actually started canvassing out the hotline number was when the CDC eviction moratorium started, we knew that city officials and leaders, as well as the landlords themselves, would not be sharing that information with tenants at the level that they should have been. So we organized and took it among ourselves as organizers, organizers and leaders in the base to actually do weekly lit drops in as many apartment complexes that we knew of, where we knew mass groups of tenants would be, to actually just share that information and let them know that there was this hotline who would believe them in their stories and try to refer them to resources. And it's grown from there. Thanks. I think this is a good time for us to start zooming out a bit. And, you know, we're talking about organizing tenants. I know for some socialists, um, they might think, well, we need to be organizing workers at the workplace. But you guys are socialists and you're organizing tenants. Why should socialists organize tenants? Why is it a place that you guys think it is ripe for, for building a mass movement of working people in opposition to the oppressive system that we live under right now? I'll start off with that. And I'm sure Jess will nag to have pretty dope answers along with that to answer as well. Uh, but with Casey Tenants, we believe that everybody's a human being. We believe that housing is a human right. So because of that, we believe that everybody should have access to housing. Oppression and exploitation of poor and working class people doesn't just end like when you clock off at the end of the day when you go to work or come from work, right? It continues in all aspects of our lives, including where we live, right? Like many people who are tenants have to pay to a capitalist who usually owns land um, and there's a power dynamic there that usually ends up shorting the tenant and dehumanizing them. Also, there are many people who are tenants who don't work, right? So there's a huge group of poor and working class people, uh, I guess you could say in this instance of poor or low income people, who don't work and can still and should still have their voices belong to a greater collective power to fight back. So that's kind of like where I personally see it from the KC tenants lens, I'm sure. Jetson and Magda will want to add? Well, um, I'll go. I agree. I was like, is Magda going to go? <laughs> but I agree completely with Mac. I mean, it really goes, it's as simple as everyone deserves a safe, affordable, accessible, secure home. It's really like that simple. I think 
a lot of, like, our oppressors, then that includes landlords, you know, exploit tenants. And tenants are forced to choose between things that they should never be forced to do. And I feel like there is real power in tenant unions and in organizing tenants that, um, you know, like, sometimes... Like, I didn't know what a tenant union was before joining Casey Tenants. I've only heard about labor unions. And so that's another thing that we kind of have to put out there, you know, because a lot of people just don't know what it is. And then explaining the power in building a tenant union and building a collective of tenants, kind of like how we are with the citywide tenant union, is really powerful and can... um, And I feel like housing just ties to everything. It ties to... We talk a lot about racial capitalism. We have trainings on that and, you know, uh, like other stuff. But, um, yeah, I just think it boils down to, like, everyone just deserves housing. Housing is a human right. And that's why I think socialists should be, you know, looking into, like, organizing tenants and learning about what that is. But, Magda, do you have anything to say? Yeah, I'll just add that uh, we really do believe that people are radicalized by their own experiences. I mean, I think there's a real emotional aspect to the idea of like organizing around your home too, right? Your home should be a place of rest and a place of joy. Um, it's where you're, you know, raising your kids. It's where you're cooking your meals. It's supposed to be a, a, a break from work, but in, you know, the the market system it's it's just another place of exploitation and so I think that that really yeah really it's uh, a deep connection to people to this idea that we should have more power over the conditions of our homes I like I like this especially what you were just saying Magda this idea that we're still working when we're at home at least for capital anyways it may seem like we're not on the job but in a lot of ways like when we're at, at the house we're nourishing ourselves and we're preparing ourselves for that next day of work, right? And, and, and the circumstances that we reproduce our own labor power, our capacity to work for capitalists, is like definitely a site of class struggle. Like how could it not be? This is, this is where we make the thing that runs capital, which is, you know, human labor, right? So there's this aspect, but there's also like, even if you're not working, I mean, we can think about it like as like a, a relationship to capital, right? Just because you don't have a job and you're retired doesn't mean you're not working class or just because you don't have a job and it's you got fired or something like that or you're unemployed or maybe you just don't want to work, which is totally valid. It doesn't mean you're not part of the working class because at the end of the day, you're usually dependent on uh, a wage in some form or fashion, whether it's social security whether it's wages you saved up over the course of your lifetime, uh, whether it's, I don't know, remittances from your family, families paying to help you survive in your home or pay your rent. At the end of the day, it's all dependent on the wage. And also, like, let's face it, if you're a capitalist, you can probably just move if you have a problem. Workers, we're dependent on capitalists who own land to live for the most part, and they leech off of our income. So I, I liked all these answers. And I think maybe one direction we can go with this is the working class is also not just a single thing. It's complex. It's racialized. It's gendered. It's queer. It, it has many people have disabilities. It has different ages in it. And, and so how do you guys try and incorporate this kind of multifaceted perspective on what the working class is into your work at Casey Tenants? 
personally, I just think like everything is interconnected, right? Like the foundation of any strong community and the foundation for a lot of humans and their human lives and families and connections is a home, right? It doesn't really matter like what you look like or who you are, like what you believe in or what your gender, sex or sexuality or sex even is. It's like you still need a home and where you live is actually really going to influence so many other parts of your uh, identity, your ability to contribute uh, to to helping your friends and family, your local communities contribute to labor and the capitalists, right? Like the list goes on and on. And I think like for me at least, and I know many others in Kansas City tenants, is like we really recognize that everything is interconnected. You know, it's not really all about one thing. It's not really all about one certain race or one certain identity. But we also have to keep step back and remind ourselves that because of the reality that we live in within racial capitalism, there are certain demographics that are far more impacted than others, right? So it's about challenging within ourselves in that and being able to see historically and be able to feel that interpersonally and emotionally within us is like, I know that this impacts me. I know that this also impacts somebody far more. And because that impacts somebody far more than I, I am benefiting from that in the scale of like, you know, poor and working class struggle against capitalism. And so when I'm establishing relationships with anyone, anywhere of any kind of issues, I'm always thinking of that and trying to think there is still a space for you to be able to contribute towards this collective power as all of us fight back. But it's really about, you know, having the humility to recognize also like it's not all about I, it's not all about me, and it's not all about this certain specific group or a certain specific cause. It really is connected to so much, so many other things. Um, so that's, that's where I go with it at least. What about you two, Magda and Jetzel? Sorry, can you restate the question? I realized I'm like, I don't want to go way off base. <laughs> oh, you can totally go way off base. This is a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was going to say something different, but I also agree with Mac. Well, we want to hear what you have to say. I think something that really makes us different from other organizations is that we are we really are multi-generational, multi-racial and do practice like anti-racist um you know ideologies and things like that. It's important to have those deeply impacted people in our base, you know, listening to them and hearing their stories. So we have to kind of what Max said like take a step back cuz I know there's someone out there who is facing something way worse than me and I need to you know, listen to them. And I think that's, it's even like something that we all agree on on Casey Tenants. Like we don't make presumptions about people and we invite everyone and everybody into, if they, you know, into our base, because we are all different people, but we're all bonded by this housing issue and bonded by the belief that everyone should have like housing. It's a human right. And so I think in that way, we really try to really not just, I know a lot of other organizations are like, yeah, we're super diverse. And then maybe there's like two people of color in their committee, but here it's, we are really actually a diverse group. And that adds to how we look at things because we have different perspectives from people, different experiences, and it really adds to the perspective. And when we're even like planning different things, like things that we would have never thought of ourselves it's because we do have such, um, we have so many people in our base that come from different backgrounds giving us their input. And I just think that's so important when 
you know, trying to organize Senate is like, not everybody's the same. And you're always going to have to approach things differently sometimes. So I'm really, I think that's something that here at KC Tennis, like we pride ourselves on is that we are, we, we're a collective, but we're also, you know, we listen to each other and stuff like that. But yeah, and I'll, I'll add, I think we do. Yeah, it's kind of cool because we do a, a good job of both looking at it on like a real historical and very like broad view. You know, we're all about like trainings and like political education in every meeting. Um, so we do talk about, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the broad strokes of like racial redlining in the city and um, and, you know, and we also also on the personal level too. like you hear people tell their stories about housing and often it, you know, relates to issues of of race and class and gendered violence and yeah it's it's just it's intersectional because like the truth and reality is intersectional and um it yeah and I also think like it's I've just kind of been reflecting on this lately it's um it's kind of it's a beautiful culture that you know is created when people come together with the goal of uh you know creating like a real you know multiracial, multigenerational, anti-racist, um, you know, group of people. Um, and I think, I, yeah, I remember actually, I think like, it might've been even two comrades talking about how they had started like thinking about their own gender and like transitioning, like while in KC tenant spaces. And it, it was just a real, it's like, that's a really good indication that we're doing something right. That makes people feel accepted and, and, um, you know, free to be who they are. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, this, like, what you just said is, like, a case in point uh, and, and an amazing response to, like, those socialists, you know, if you want to call them that, who who think that it's alienating to the working class that people, that we care about gender or, you know, are open to people who are transgendered or gay or, like, not white. This obsession with the white working class, I feel like, is really problematic and I think yeah this open openness that you guys have cultivated within KC tenants is like really something that every organizer should aspire to and and maybe we can dig into that maybe a little bit more concretely you know what kind of practices have you guys developed to to kind of make it an inclusive atmosphere uh, to make it a feminist space to make it an anti-racist space I know like meetings are often like run in a very masculinist way and one of the things that, you know, was interesting to me was that you guys wanted people to lean into the tension and recognize that it's all right to have a feeling when you're in an organizing space and actually that they're incredibly important for decision making. Yeah, I mean, what you just said there is a really great first example that I can start with. Is like we believe that everything we do should be evaluated, right? So like what are the pluses and deltas of things? But also how can we create a space for people to step up and share tensions when they are uncomfortable or have a problem with something that we do? But also when it's not all doom and gloom, right? Like there have to be moments where we're happy with each other. Like we make sure that we have space to share appreciations, like to celebrate each other and the power that we've built together. Uh, Another really good facet, like, so that's at like the end of our meetings. But at the beginning of our meetings, we always have, you know, like an intro where we do community agreements, make sure everybody's on the same page. And we also do some kind of like relational check-in, right? So like we ask deep questions or, you know, just sometimes personal questions so that we can kind of learn about each other and like where we're coming from. We always like try to share the mic. So it's not just like one person leading and running the whole thing and expecting that all the time, right? There has to be opportunities for many people to step up and contribute and help lead in those spaces. And the other thing that I'll add too is 
is is that we with the spirit of our one-on-ones when we dive into self-interest like that is like a really crucial like starting point of in terms of like trying to create that culture of people who come into KC tenants whenever i do a one-on-one with someone i'm all ears and most of the time i'm listening right it's not really about me in this period of of this meeting it's really about why is this person interested in KC tenants why is this person so um, angry about the conditions that they are living in and like how can we translate that into building power together um, and it's through these trainings that we have where we talk about collective power one-on-ones racial capitalism and how that impacts all of us every single day um, such as also like self-interest training like sometimes we'll even just like put stick figures on a poster right and list out like who was i back then what made me and like who am i today and like what do i want to be in the future and it's those kinds of like practices and you know group routines that we do with each other that build relationships and really create that space for people to know when they can step up and take space and say hey like this is what i believe in this is something that deeply impacts me but also be so connected and care enough about others and be understanding and believing in other people's stories that they can step back and listen to other people when they need to step forward. Well, I thanks for that super detailed answer. And I think this is actually like a great spot to kind of start trying to wrap things up. And, and maybe this is putting you all on the spot here, but I, I kind of have to ask, what are your pro tips? Suppose someone listening to this podcast wants to organize their building. What are what should they be doing? What are the first steps? What should their headspace be? I can I can go first by all some time. My pro tip is when when someone takes on the role of like trying to be a leader and trying to organize with a group of people, that's the first thing is you have to think it's it's with people. You're not doing it to people. You're not doing it for people. You're not doing it to help people. You're doing it with people. You're doing it with your neighbors. You're doing it with a community. And one of the biggest challenges that I had, you know, going into organizing, and I think it's finally something that I'm really starting to like figure out um, and take my own, is that being an organizer uh, does not mean that you have the answers to everything, and that's going to be okay, right? Because like part of that process of building collective power is that people will find that solution and solve those problems together, right? Like it's really like that's that's the the genius and the magic of it all in these spaces. It's not one person coming in and saying, hey, I know this, and this is what we should do, right? It's like, this is something that needs to be addressed. We know many of us feel all these different things about this, so let's get that out and figure out like what works best for everyone. And from what I have found is in spaces where I or others have just like went into a space to say, hey, like this is what I want to do. This is what I think we should do. You're not necessarily working as, you know, an organizer. You're mostly working as like an, like an activist, an advocate, or like a mobilizer. Um, so that really is like my pro tip is have the humility to balance that sense of ego and pride and be able to say, I know that this doesn't revolve around me. I am not an expert, right? Casey tends to really believe in the terms of like experts. Like we are here to just organize, talk to others, build relationships, and see where we can all go together as a group of people. Yeah, and just to build on that, what I would say is something that's that I kind of live by is to be open and to talk to everybody. Like, talk to, maybe there's a neighbor down the street that you maybe had some beef with. Like, still talk to that person. They might be experiencing something that you don't know about. Like, be open and listen, really listen. I think that one of the main things that even that I've learned through the hotline and even through trying to organize is that a lot of people think they're alone. A lot of people, because of this system, 
are like, I'm the only one facing this. I can, I had to handle this alone. And it's really changing that shift in their mind that you aren't alone. All these people have your back. I have your back. Your neighbors have your back. I'm also facing the same issue. And it's really like, that's the first step getting through that mindset that I think I've had before Casey Tennant's and learning about this is like that I'm all alone or that I think a lot of deeply impacted tenants feel that way because of the system and they don't have any resources um, and et cetera, et cetera. But I think be open and really show the t- the that they're not alone and that you can really do something together as a collective. That's like such a good bit of advice to not leave anyone out of your organizing, especially people that you have beef with. Like when I was organizing in in my union, like a reform slate, uh, I'm a grad student. I was organizing other grad students and everyone was afraid to go to the business school and talk to the PhD accountants because they were like, oh, of course, they're going to not like us because they're this is this is like where they're training all of the evil capitalists or whatever. Right. But then you go in and they're like, holy smokes. Finally, someone shows up. We have so many grievances to air. (laughs) And they got super involved in the campaign. Uh, But Magna, you were about to hop in. Oh, yeah. Actually, um, sometimes folks do call the hotline and ask like, hey, like I they seem like really gung ho about like organizing their own place. So we actually do have a couple of um, COVID era organizing toolkits that Casey Tenants has developed. Um, So maybe I can send these and they can be like in the show notes or something. But um, the first one is like, you know, bit.ly slash KCT and KCT all capital organize. Um, and then there's another one that's in zine, shorter format. It's really cute. It's, yeah, it's bit.ly slash KCT, again, all capital, um, org, O-R-G, tool, T-O-O-L. Um, so yeah, so these kind of walk you through just the basic um, how-to of how to like start thinking about establishing a tenants union. And yeah, like Mac and Jessel have been saying, like a lot of it is relationship building and hearing about each other's stories and seeing what the deepest issues are. I think the the thing I will add too is like, it takes time. We really do like organizing happens at the speed of trust. Trust takes a while to form. Um, our Actually, our, our newest um, tenant union, the McGee Schiffman Tenant Union, has been basically in development for like six months before they just became public this past weekend. So yeah, but that's six months of meetings, that's six months of getting to know each other, that's six months of strategizing, researching into the landlord and the you know property management. And that groundwork is super important. Um, and I guess the other thing I'll say, too, is find a legal ally, um, find a, a friendly lawyer who can look over your things and say, this is actually achievable under what's going on right now. Or like, this is unfortunately not. Or like, hey, have you thought about this? This could be something really cool to add that could be achievable, which, yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel maybe, I don't know, I think like if you're like a super purist or something, you can be like, oh, like I don't want to <laughs> operate within that framework. But, it, you know, like just for, for feasibility reasons, um, it is super important. We do really um, love the legal allies we have in, um, in KC. They, they have helped us with so much. Awesome. I think this is a great way to end the podcast. You got to be patient. Organizing goes at the speed of trust. Uh, like the perfect phrase for what I think like good organizing is in my opinion I think probably in yours too 
Um, but before we go, are there any things uh, that people should know about that listen to this pod? How can they support you? Is there social media or websites they can check out to get some inspiration? Yeah, I can share the KC Tenant socials. And then uh, Jetzel and Magda, I'm sure they have plenty to share their own socials that they'll want to recommend. Um, you can follow KC Tenants through social media on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same handle on both of those accounts. It's at KC Tenants. So super easy to find it. Remember, uh, if you want to actually donate to us, that would be great. Much of our funding is from individual donors like you listening right now. Uh, and if you want to donate, you can go to www.kctenants.org backslash donate. But also, if you want to buy some hot fire KC Tenants merch, uh, our, the end of our first uh, merch line is coming to an end, and we still have some really cool stock left. So if that's something that you're interested in wearing some really bright, vibrant, powerful yellow, you can go to kctenants.org backslash merch. That's a little Magda. Anything you want to pile on? Just thank you for having us on this podcast. This is so cool. And I'm really happy that there are people like you and other people who are having these really important conversations and really being open and listening to us. Um, I think that's the way that we're going to make change and by organizing. So hopefully our listeners had fun listening to this, had some education. Love that. Yeah. I'll also just say thank you so much for having us. Um, this has been a really fun hour. And um, yeah, just I think personally, I always just feel like organize, like everyone organized. Um, it, get, you know, get out in the world and talk to other people. And there's always a role for everyone and everyone has something to contribute. And yeah, I mean, we need this, this struggle to be as, uh, as large and inclusive as possible. So if you're not already involved in a, in an organization in your community, you know, there are folks who, who want you to be so. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. You really are fantastic guests. I hope to have you guys on or or other people from KC Tenants on. So we'll be in contact for sure. If you've been listening to this podcast through the Solidarity website, you can now access it through most of the podcasting apps that exist in the universe. If you're using iTunes, please be sure to give us a review to help us move up the charts. If you like this conversation want to keep up with what Socialism from Below and our friends are doing, follow us on Twitter at SOC from below. If you like what you heard on today's episode and you want to find out more about Solidarity, check out our website at www.solidarity-us.org. You can also find us on Twitter at SolidarityUS, on Instagram at Solidarity1986, and on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SolidarityUS. I'd also encourage you to check out our comrades at the Socialist Journal, Against the Current, on their website www.againstthecurrent.org You can also find them on Twitter at ATC underscore mag or on Instagram at ATC dot mag Thanks again to our producer James for all the work he does. If you like the theme song you'll like his mixtape, Optimism of the Will and you can find that on streaming sites Thanks again for listening comrades Until next time, solidarity forever